You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's Something to Talk About, we are in Luke chapter 22, and we're talking about what most people refer to as the Last Supper. Uh, What's interesting about this passage is that a lot of people know about it. Uh, A lot of people know about the Last Supper and have certain ideas and and imagery that go along with it. Uh, So to look at it from the standpoint and really try to see what is being said here and, and what we can glean from it. I think is really important. So that was what our discussion was about today, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we just spent, you know, a couple minutes talking about Tolkien. And... So you said watching, though, right? Yes, so I've, I've watched the first. I'm really surprised that you were Which turned is, off by I, I understand that, because I typically do like the fantasy, right, yeah. sci-fi kind of stuff, but I just... Harry Potter watched about half an hour of the first movie. I've never seen it. Hated every Harry second Potter, of it. Too. Lord of the Rings hated every second no of it. No kidding. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm surprised by that. I thought you would have dug. I that am one. too. I I wanted to like it. You ever read the books? No. On either one of those? No. I, I will say the Tolkien books are. I know they're incredibly popular. That's work to. I mean, you gotta you gotta actually. You can't play with it. You gotta read it. Yeah. You know, there's. I don't and I, do that. I have never Same finished thing. them. I've started them a few times. Started um, the the first one. Um, I never. I should have started with the Hobbit. I guess that's the, that's the see, and that's one. what that's you a, get. That's like a younger you get target. All these, you get all these sequels and then prequels, and you got to do in this order and this order. And I ain't got time for that. It's like uh, Game of Thrones. If like it wasn't so nasty, I probably would like that type of yeah time period. That's what I like yeah. That. That's what I thought when that came out. But, I kept hearing about. It. I'm like, ooh, this is right in my. But then it's the like, Vikings one too. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is right in my in my wheelhouse. And then I heard a little bit about what was going on there. I'm like, that's not the wheelhouse I want to be in. Yeah. So. No, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, welcome. I have my jumbo coffee. It's a jumbo coffee morning. Lorelai Gilmore, 2007. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we are going to get started. <laughs> Uh, we are talking about uh, a pretty familiar tale, <laughs> a yes. pretty familiar uh, passage here uh, that most people know as the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I know it as anyway, so I'm assuming most people do. Not a lot of new content here. I right. mean, really? Well, I, like we talked about last week, we're in this portion in Luke now where it's a lot of familiarity. Yeah, I, I think as we, uh, and, and that's where it gets a little bit dangerous for us sometimes, right. is when things are familiar. I think this is where folks who grow up in church, folks who have a religious background, can very often be at a disadvantage. Uh, and, and that's going to come off wrong, I think, because um, I think it's never a disadvantage to have um to have building blocks underneath you. Like, it's it's, right. it's never a disadvantage to have learned how to read in elementary school when you get to high school. So you can read Tolkien. Yeah, you better learn a lot. Um, but as you're, um, you know, as you're trying to see things, when you think you know Shakespeare, it's hard to really enjoy Shakespeare mm-hmm. unless you come at it with a fresh view. You know, and when you get an image in your mind, here's what Romeo and Juliet, Juliet or Julio uh, is that's, about. That's a different story. <laughs> but, you know, that that <laughs> when you get those things in your head and you've seen it on television, so you've been inoculated to it, you know, you've got this kind of vaccination because you've seen it on every, you know, parody or whatever on every different show in the world. Um, you hear people quote it and quote it wrong a lot mm-hmm, of the time. And right. You get all these things. Um <laughs> I love the fact that you know in the balcony scene, everybody thinks she's asking where, where he is. Right. You know, but that's just not even 
the point of the scene. It's not the meaning of the language, but we get that in our minds. So then it's really hard for us to, to see or hear anything else. And the same thing happens with a lot of our, um, with our understanding of Scripture. If we grew up in church, if we grew up in, in some sort of a, um, a, a Christian society, which, you know, up until really your generation, that's been a, a, br- a pretty big thing in the United States, is where we are a pretty Christianized gener- um, society. I'm not a millennium. By definition, you are. We're going to have to re- revisit that again. Your Gen X is millennial. Gen, uh, I'm sorry, I'm Gen X. Your Gen Y is millennial. Gen Z is the post-millennials. But anyway, that's no, not really relevant. Uh, and to your credit, to, to your millennial generation credit, Dan Crenshaw is also a millennial. So is Candace Owens. And I'm, I, Dan Crenshaw is an American hero. So anyway, that's not really relevant to the podcast. I just happened to see him on the Candace yes, Owens Has that show. ever stopped any of us before? All right. So <clears throat> seriously, <laughs> eye patch, winner. You know, Navy SEAL, eye patch, winner. So anyway, as we're looking at this, the, the idea of looking at uh, scriptures that we're already familiar with um, requires us to, to try to see it with fresh eyes, to look mm-hmm. for what's surprising about the passage. What is it that um, that is there, not, not to find new meanings in it, but to right. see the old and original meanings, the, the clear, natural meanings that perhaps we've missed because it's so familiar. And because it's so familiar, I, we don't, you know, you learn these ba- the basics of this when you're a child from in many cases, you know, right. maybe watered down versions or, or storybook versions. Well, and, and, then, and yeah, church versions right. of a lot of this. So we end up looking at this story through the eyes of how we've learned communion in church. Right. So if you grew up in a Catholic background or a Lutheran background or a, a Baptist background or, or whatever your particular background is, you've learned certain understandings mm-hmm. of communion. And then we we go through what you could call eisegesis. Exegesis is, is opening up the text Bless and discovering you. what's in there. Eisegesis is reading into the text. We want to draw from the text, not read into the text. Right. So what we end up doing then is we see this particular story or others like it that we're familiar with. But we've already learned a cultured, doctrined, doctrinated uh, sort of approach to it that tells us this is what we believe. Therefore, usually subconsciously, that's what we have to see in the text. Mm-hmm. When a natural reading of it in its context, understanding the big picture of what's going on before and after, what's going on in the whole context of Luke, what's going on in the whole context of the Scripture, when we let the Scripture interpret the Scripture for us, then we can see it differently. And it it it, it freshens it. it. It causes us really, when when we see the the Word of God rightly, it really becomes a dividing line. We either fall in love with it, and it's just amazing, or we reject it. If we're just okay with it, then we don't get it. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're just in the in the middle ground there, where it's like, oh yeah, Bible, okay, it's great. We're supposed to read it, but you know, that's a job. Um, then we don't get it. We're we're not understanding. This is the word of the living God to us. And as this is going through, as we read this from Luke's perspective, he's gone back through to research all these things. He wasn't here when this story took place. He was converted later. And then in his conversion process and then his writing process, he goes back to to find out all that he can. As a a man of science for the time, a, a physician, 
Luke is looking for the the evidence. He is more of the, my wife's from Missouri, is the show me state, you know, so he's more of that. Show me why this matters. I want to actually see that this is real. And he writes with that intent to give us a foundation for our faith, to know the certainty of what we've been taught. So when Luke is writing this, he's writing this so that those who read it can see, perhaps for the first time, or at least freshly, what actually took place in the life and ministry of Christ on earth. And then from that, see where the, the teachings, the doctrines of the church and, and of the apostles, where, where does that come from? Right. So as he's going through here, his take is a little different than Matthew's and Mark's and, and John's. John, they all three recorded this, uh, this event as they're together. John focuses on the washing of the feet, uh, which takes place in that same setting focuses less on the Passover meal, talks about what's going on in the context of the meal, but doesn't focus on the meal. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all focus on that meal. So mm -hmm. what they're doing here in Luke chapter 22, I, we probably should have said early on that we're in Luke chapter 22. We're in Luke chapter 22. So we're in Luke chapter 22, and we're looking at verses 7 to 23 or so, yeah, 23. Um, and as, uh, uh, as we see this unfold... Luke and Mark and Matthew, all they all are, are focusing in on the fact that it's the Passover. Mm -hmm. And John also says this is the Passover. But at the festival of unleavened bread, which is commanded in Exodus, and all of the Israelites, all of the Jews have been practicing this, uh, this is a major significant thing. God set this up to be the first month of their year, to, to be uh, this kind of a central point as they in their history, in their daily accounting of time even, mm -hmm. they're reckoning this from that first month in in seeing God deliver his people out of the slavery of Egypt. And we and, went over that quite a bit on, on Sunday, the different accounts of, of Passover within the Bible and yeah. how it's presented and how it's how it's described. Yeah, so if we go back to, <clears throat> to Exodus, really it's like 11 through 15. We, we're seeing this, uh, the plague, uh, the... Tenth of the plagues, mm -hmm. the death of the firstborn, God um, describing to them in chapter twelve. Here's what you need to do mm -hmm. uh, to not be counted as with the Egyptians. So it's not enough to just be an Israelite. You have to be an, an Israelite who trusts God enough to obey Him, mm -hmm. and you do what He says. And you paint the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, <clears throat> and as you uh, as you do that, then death passes over. And this is the, the basic nature of what they're remembering in this. So immediately after this, the plague happens and the firstborn die and the, uh, the children of Israel who apply the blood by faith are delivered from this. God then delivers them not only from that death, from that immediate death, but also from the slavery uh, that they were facing in Egypt. So we see a double deliverance there. This, the plague and the Passover, all part of God delivering from death and from slavery. And we see the same thing in the gospel. You know, the, the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, crucified on our behalf as a substitute for us, taking my place, right. delivers those who, who trust in him, who apply the blood by faith, as it were. He delivers from death and from slavery to sin. So it's death's 
consequence in, in the, that punishment of sin, but also the power of sin over us. And Paul, as he looks at baptism, the other ordinance of the church, so we've got the, the Lord's Supper here, uh, Paul, when he talks about baptism, um, points out that it represents our, our being crucified with Christ and being raised to a new life in him. So we identify with him in his death and we identify with him in his res- resurrection. Here we identify in this meal, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, uh, that was our memory verse for the week. Paul wrote that in First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty six. I was just working on that verse on the way to school with my daughter this morning. She's got it down. But anyway, Ooh, as we're, it's only Tuesday. It's only Tuesday. Uh, but she's got to keep up with uh, some of the adults in the Wednesday night group who uh, will have it. They're going to have it down by the time we, we work on it at Wednesday nights. When we get there, probably a third of the group will already have it memorized. So it's going to be it's going to be great. I love it when adults memorize scripture. But as as Paul. Um, points out that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are here in the meal identifying not so much with the resurrection, but specifically with the death. And we're identifying with that double deliverance from, from the punishment, the death that comes with sin, and the power of sin over us. So we're being delivered as the Israelites were from death and also from slavery. So as we see what's happening here, Jesus then identifies himself with that. Mm. And uh, there are some very specific things that uh, I, I don't know that I would have caught all of it prior to going through this. And I've preached through Exodus and I've preached through the other Gospels. And, and somehow, uh, I don't know if it escaped me or if I just wasn't staying mindful of it. But one of the things that I, I thought was interesting is that God commanded them to bring the lamb into their homes. So they have to keep the lamb with them as they prepare to slaughter this lamb and paint Mm -hmm. its blood over Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the doorpost. And Jesus came from among us as well. He came unto that which was his own, and his own received him not. I got a little King James going there, had a little flow. Um, So as, as we see that connection as well, Jesus came from among us. And it, it kind of struck me as sort of convicting that <laughs> these Jewish families would have had more affection for this poor little lamb than most of us tend to have for the Lord who gave his life for us, that emotional attachment. And we don't, we don't see that the way we should. You know, uh, my mom and I were talking this morning, I had our, our uh, Tuesday and Friday prayer group with the students at the middle high school. And we're talking about just the, the amazing privilege it is to, to speak to the God of the universe. And I think maybe we don't get that enough. You know, we, we're so used to being casual in, in our prayer. Shoot, we didn't pray. Before. We, say we're gonna we pray keep before saying that, God. yeah. So we'll didn't... pray after okay. when we get done. Trust. We'll, 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 we'll pray before the second yeah. episode that okay. we record. <laughs> um, but... But we take it lightly sometimes mm-hmm. because we've created this Jesus is my homeboy mentality in right. the last 40 or 50 years where, where we, we have this low church casual approach to things. And I don't say that because I think low church is a, is a bad thing, although it kind of sounds that way when you call it that. But as opposed to the, to the more liturgical high church style of worship. So uh, some would call it a free church, you know, free church style, which is very descriptive of who we are as a congregation at real life. But the danger of our personalization of our faith 
is that we make it a sort of a casual thing, as mm-hmm. if Jesus is my buddy rather than my master, my sovereign, the Lord of, of all creation. Well, and so when we get that, then it changes how we view prayer, and we it changes how we view his sacrifice when we start to see him for who he is. It reminds me of my mom growing up made it very adamant that she was not my friend. Yeah, well, she was, she yeah. was my, my mother, and... Yeah. So I mean, now now I'm older, and you know, obviously I obviously have more to talk about. But right, you can be more of a friendship right. as adults. Don't tell as, her that. But, but as um, kids, right, we need our parents to be our parents. Right. We need to see, and 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 there's a powerful illustration in that, as, right. as we've said so right. many times. God I was trying to get there. God gives us, you know, marriage and sexuality and family as an illustration of His relationship mm-hmm. to His people. And so, if we as parents dumb down that relationship mm-hmm. in, in our physical family. If, if we want to be our kid's buddy, if we want to always make them happy, we, we are not, like us or we're not giving them an accurate picture of right. who God is. Right. We need to give a separation to our children and to our, our society's children. We all need to give this separation that prevents them from seeing adults as their peers because that flattens out the concepts of authority and submission. Mm-hmm. And while that sounds very egalitarian that's not that's not the picture that that we have been assigned to give our kids that that kind of a socialist idea and i don't mean socialist in a political uh, vein as much as the religious implications of socialism that that we flatten these things out we want to remove any submission authority um which never actually works because that's not how reality is designed. But when we do that in our families, when we do that in our schools, when we do that in our churches, we are not giving them a picture of the authoritative sovereignty of God. And, and, and we're part of that. You know, we, we live in a society like this, you know, it's gone from, you know, when, when a lot of us older folks, because, you know, I'm 180 years old, but, you know, a lot of you us grew up, thanks. Um, I, I, it's the moisturizer. <laughs> but we've been taught, you know, when I was growing up, it was, you know, Pastor Williamson, Pastor right. Port. And then by the time I was in high school, it was Pastor Tom and Pastor Dave. Right. And then, you know, now we still have more of that. But but at that time, we'd still call our our. Um, junior church teachers, Uncle Bob and Aunt Julie, you know, mm-hmm. at, at some churches it'd be, you know, Miss Stacy, right. you know, those, those kinds of things. But um, we don't do that so much anymore. Now we're just comfortable and casual with kids calling adults by their first names, mm-hmm. which is that the biggest thing in the world? It's really not about you as right. an adult demanding respect. Right. It's about us teaching children so that they grow up understanding that all of the universe, all of it, operates on the basis of authority and submission mm-hmm. as a reflection of the nature and character of God. And our role as creation is to submit to the authority of the sovereign creator of all things. When we get that, it changes our view of prayer. It changes our view of the scripture. It changes our view of of stories like this as we read about this Last Supper. In fact, we'll see that even more as we go into next week when when we see that... um, Save it for things. (laughs) When we see that uh, Jesus is here doing something, he who is the Lord of all things lowers himself to be a servant. And he's teaching us about 
submission and authority and the, the volitional nature of these things. And as we see this, the, the Last Supper here to get back to this particular um, passage, we have, it's going to sound weird for me to say it, but we've so Christianized this, this text, our image of what, um, of what the, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, this particular Last Supper here is about, that we only see it through retro lenses. We only see it looking backward right. through the church, <laughs> through church history, which we generally don't take time to study, but we're on the back end of this, having been taught whatever we've been taught. So if you're, uh, if you're Catholic, you um, grew up maybe less now than in previous generations, because I don't think we teach in any of our denominations, we don't teach as specifically the things that are distinctive to us as we used to. But you would grow up uh, believing that in this transubstantiation concept, the concept that the uh, elements actually become the body and blood of Christ through the miraculous work of the priest. In that, as the as the Spirit of God moves through the priest and and changes this, these elements into the literal body, literal body and blood of Christ. Now, somebody who's steeped in that doctrine can probably speak more directly to that than than I can. Um, you see the the Protestant, the, the early Protestant reformers like Luther, who would have changed to what is often called consubstantiation, where it's, it is the real presence of Christ in it. It's not literally flesh and blood, but it but Christ is is actually here present right. in it. Then you have others who teach that it's the symbol, which I believe is clearly the, the teaching of Scripture. Right, that um, seems... And, of course, I would say it's clearly the teaching of Scripture because that's what I believe. If I didn't believe that, that it was clearly the teaching of Scripture, then I would ad adhere to some other belief. But, um, but as we look at, at this, we can't take this event and separate it from the Passover. And so if I were going to question anything in particular about our practice as we look at this when he says do this in remembrance of me you know we think of the bread and the cup that we take for communion mm -hmm. but is that really what he's talking about here or is he talking about when you celebrate passover now passover is in remembrance of me now the case that that we would make as as messianic followers as, as uh, if you're a Messianic Jew, you would approach things a certain way. But as as Christians, we see what happens in the New Testament. They celebrate and they break bread together on the first day of the week. And, and so we would uh, participate in that with this in mind. But if you're going to make a case for how often you should do it, probably your better biblical case from Jesus is once a year at Passover. Hmm. The case from the practice of the church early on, which gives us a pretty good indication of what, what they believed was Christ's intent, which is a better way for us to understand for ourselves what Christ's intent is, is every time that they would get together and do this, right. which in some cases was every time they got together, but not likely literally every time uh, because you may get together for other purposes. Right. But when you get together with this as your purpose to celebrate this meal together, uh, it sounds like more often in Acts, by the time you get to the letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians, you see that uh, it, it feels like less often than, than that. None of that is hard or set in stone or dogmatic. It just that's how it seems, how it feels. Um, 
But as you see each of these things, the focus is on the remembrance. The focus is on the exact same thing that the Passover focused on. Mm -hmm. So the, the Passover was given, commanded by God, prior to and then after the, the actual exodus, that this would be celebrated every year. It would be celebrated in this way. And as you do this, it is a remembrance of what happened. You're not actually, you are eating the the. Right. the, the uh, body of the lamb you're not not the blood right. you made a point of not doing that it's not boiled it's roasted and all these specific things that went along with how they would practice it but it was always we all knew we like i was among them uh everybody doing you look it good thank you and everybody doing it knew this was not the actual lamb that was sacrificed right. in egypt at that time because we weren't there right it was a symbol of that. It was a reminder of that. That was the purpose in the Passover. And Jesus is equating himself that same way. It's clear that this isn't actually his body and blood, especially because he's still standing there. Right. So that you know, that idea that, that we need to take this literally, and, right. the, and, and we do take the Bible literally where it's intended to be literal and, and not where it isn't. So as we see the natural reading of this, nobody in that room thought that they were eating the literal black right. body and blood of Christ. Nobody in that room thought, even after, you could not have been in that room with Jesus and then thought the way we do religiously after that. None of them thought that by taking this, they were being saved. They were right. taking on the grace of God through this element. None of them thought that because they couldn't think it now. And since they were here in this understanding and they walked with Christ and they understood the things that he was saying, they could not have thought that after his resurrection. So that wouldn't have been what they passed on to the early church. Mm -hmm. Along the way, as we often do, we morph things into something that is not what God intended because humans are religious by nature. That's what we do. And so we create all these different uh -huh. nuances to it. The live stream can't it. see you. you got to scooch in. I thought they preferred that. <laughs> they can't see you either. I can see you're hiding behind Nobody the Nobody commented comments. about me. <laughs> so we're here. So it's better if I lean out. We need something here. Oh, we'll go farther away. Then the microphone can't hear me. You can't win. This is just silly. So anyway, as we're seeing this, the idea that, that it is anything other than symbolic similar to baptism, if it's anything other than symbolic, it's not in keeping with the original intent. It's not, it's not following the pattern that Jesus would have established in, that, in the, the very first things that he was doing and commanding. The, the apostles who are with him embracing those same concepts would not have, here, we'll bring the mic over this way, then I can get closer, uh, would not have then passed on things that were contrary to everything that they had learned while they were right, with him. Right. So when we introduce these concepts that make it somehow inherently, um, innately spiritual or salvific in any way, then we are getting away from what Jesus would have taught, practiced, passed on to the apostles who taught and practiced these same things. So we need to look at the text in light of the scripture itself, not here's what I believe, so therefore that must be what this means, and let me go find other proof texts to fit into it. If we want to read this and go back to the Exodus, see that picture, 
go back to Isaiah 53, which is, you know, where, as Jesus identifies here with the bread, he's looking back to this afflicted, suffering servant in Isaiah 53, where uh, the Messiah is, is beaten for the people, is, right. is broken on our behalf. And in this sacrifice, he dies. And he has no descendants because he right. dies. And yet, later in the chapter, we see his offspring. How does that happen if he's dead without descendants? Well, because we are his offspring. We are in him. And it speaks of, of him dying for our transgressions. That Specifically, that's the purpose of the Messiah dying, suffering and dying, is so that by his stripes we can be healed. That's the beauty that we see in the Last Supper. That's what we remember. That's the purpose of it. And it, it, it is required for the Israelite to apply this by faith. Mm -hmm. As they celebrated the Passover, the command uh, in Numbers and in Deuteronomy was to do it with the right heart, right. to do it as the right people. You needed to be an Israelite. But in Exodus, it says even the foreigners are among you. Right, there's a lot of rules. In Deuteronomy, it says not the foreigners, right. unless those foreigners become essentially Israelites. If they renounce their past, if they become circumcised, if they are part of your household, absolutely. But you can't have them come in here and not get right with God and still practice the Passover. So The similarities in the in between... Old Testament and and what what is what is saying here in the New Testament are just shocking to me. And you know which one stood out to me the most? No broken bones mm. with the with the sacrificed lamb. Yeah. Don't break any of its bones. Yeah. That one really stuck stu like stood out to me. I was like, whoa. This very is specific. So, very specific. Yeah. And I mean, it almost just gave me chills when when we read out on uh, on Sunday. I'm not sure where it says that. And I don't know if it was Exodus or whatever. Right. But um. Yeah, that really got to me because you know you, you you can see the you can see the uh, the, the depiction of of this perfect lamb without blemish blah right. blah, but something as specific as don't break its bones it was I don't know that got to me. <laughs> well, and we see that also in the in the um, in the crucifixion. Right, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, because he didn't... they specifically they break everybody else's right. bones, but not, not his. his. Right. Very specific to this. And I, I, I will we'll, we'll get to that later, but that just that one little section really stuck out to me as far as gosh when you're comparing this to this and you're seeing this connection how can you not just i don't know thousands of years before right so much of what we see in the prophets is hundreds of years before when we're going back to the exodus we're talking about thousands of years before right it, it's a pretty powerful thing so for jesus to say you know this is in remembrance of me we gotta stop where <laughs> this is in remembrance of me it's 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 farther back than that it's yeah. it's all of this it is yeah and so and again, when we see what, what Paul writes, what the writer of Hebrews writes, what Jesus says on the road to Emmaus, all of these ancient scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, all of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. Right. All of the New Testament is pointing to so Christ. So when Luke is writing this with the idea that I'm writing this so you'll know, right. okay, this is all tying together. Right. Yeah, and we really, and it's interesting because Luke is a Gentile right. writing to a, a mixed crowd that's that's heavy Gentile. Right. Uh, that was my nickname. <laughs> nice. Uh, heavy on the Gentile population right. as he's writing this. Um, Mark also is writing to a, a mixed crowd with a heavy Gentile population. Matthew <clears throat> um, is writing to a primarily Jewish or Hebrew population. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then 
as Luke is doing it, you're still seeing these prophecies come out, right, even right, though right. that's not his focus. Right. He's not really drilling He's down. Not trying on that. to. Right. Matthew's saying, "Here's them together. here's right. what Jeremiah said. Here, you know, right. here we're going to go back to these things." Luke is Luke's not really and doing it's naturally that, happening. but it's still very right. evident. You right. really can't miss it. That's cool. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Um, we got in. We got into the actual scripture eventually. We did. It was a little <laughs> little disjointed, and I jumped all over the place. Probably was confusing in some areas. So please do, uh, by all means, if you have any questions, if the if the <clears throat> podcast raised questions, if it um, <laughs> the podcast raised questions, I'll never <laughs> proceed. If our conversation here in this podcast caused you to have additional questions. About anything. About anything, <laughs> but specifically about about this uh, passage or about the Lord's Supper, then by all means do contact us. The The email is there on the Something podcast. Something real at reallifeonline.org. Um, you can leave us a voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail, and Stacy will be very excited. She may spill her coffee. I do a spit take on I the live I won't do stream. that. <clears throat> um, and you can leave them on the Facebook page, too, if you're watching over that, that live stream or listening there. But we do want to make sure that you get to hear it. And I, I know that we had an issue um, technologically. My microphone went out during our sermon so that uh, I don't think that ever did get podcasted. But we could we could probably put the li- link to the Facebook yes, recording we could do that. in the I will do that. on the podcast so the that you can click that, yep. that link and see the recording of that live stream. So yeah, if you have any any questions from that, from Sunday sermon or this, feel free to contact us. Indeed. <laughs> Dot com. All right, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you later. Here's a plug.